Listen in as Gary Guyman shares how he escapes rural Kentucky to find success, a story I'm all too familiar with. Are you an entrepreneur who's looking for motivation, strategy, and tactical guidance on taking your business to the next level? Do you like surrounding yourself with action takers who know what it takes to win? If so, you're in the right place. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm your host. Join me as I speak with some of the greatest business minds on the planet. Welcome to the Do Zone. Take care of the minutes and the hours will take care of themselves. Lord Chesterfield. DC Tribe Josh Thomas, really glad to have you. To make sure that you don't miss another episode, I would love it if you would follow and subscribe on Apple and or Spotify. Also, if you're looking to better understand how you get stuff done, head on over to DoZoneDNA.com and take our personality profile assessment built specifically for busy entrepreneurs. It's going to show you how to build your world around you for optimal peak performance. Once again, that's DoZoneDNA.com. Today's guest is Gary Guyman. Gary is a serial entrepreneur and business owner. His 30-year career has spanned owning multiple businesses and developing sales and marketing plans to assist other business owners in growing their businesses. Gary, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. Two Kentucky boys, man. Hey, um, baby. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Again, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And uh, from everything that I've known about you for the past, what, how long has it been? Over 18 months, almost two years now. You're a get stuff done kind of guy. So perfect podcast, obviously, for you. Um, I, I tell you, key to getting stuff done that maybe others don't think about is this. I would tell someone that um, you respect what you're trying to accomplish and they'll hold you accountable. And it's hard to uh, to BS those types of people. Josh would be one of those guys. Uh, we have a lot of those guys that we're connected with in our uh, in our mastermind that we're in together. Same thing. Or, you know, people that are around your business or locally. Whenever I tell somebody that I'm going to do something, uh, damn it, they always hold me accountable. So um, <laughs> my, my, my wife is a great example of that. Uh, I had a goal that I wanted to accomplish. I told her about it. And like, it was one of those things that had to get done quick. It couldn't, I couldn't put it off, couldn't put it off. And I kept making excuses, even though I wanted to achieve it, I kept making excuses. And finally she was like, like three days after, did you, uh, did you do that yet? Daggone it. Um, so, you know, nice being, being accountable to her and to others help you absolutely get stuff done that maybe, uh, maybe you don't always want to get done. That's right. Yeah. Accountability is crucial. You know, I was just speaking with another gentleman, Steve Cahan, it was probably a episode before you. And he mentioned, you know, that really is the determining factor on whether or not somebody is successful is if they hold themselves accountable and if they have other people do it. Uh, in fact, I'm building an entire business model around goal setting and accountability because it's that important. So I'm I'm right there with you, man. And, and I'm curious uh, just because you brought that up, you mentioned the story about your wife there, but were there any other instances in your career where having somebody making sure you got it done really was the impact and really was the difference? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can look at examples throughout my life, whether it be a, a goal that I set or something that I wanted to accomplish, like telling someone, obviously, like you said, holding yourself accountable, like that's a strong trait of of a leader and someone who gets something done and, and holding yourself accountable, but having those external forces. And I always pick people that are really good at that thing that I'm trying to accomplish and tell them, especially if I have those types of people in my life. It's like my wife, health and fitness, like she is dialed in and that's her thing. So if I tell her I'm trying to accomplish something health and fitness wise, uh, she'll hold me accountable. And uh, like I have another good friend of mine that uh, owns a very successful business locally. And um, he's, he's very customer centric in his business, you know, people, 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 customer, customer, customer. And so if I have a goal related to something that uh, is around people or, you know, impacting people, I'll, I'll tell Mike, because Mike will hold me accountable to that. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I've always worked on is finding people in my network that are good at that thing that I'm trying to accomplish and then tell them, telling them I want to accomplish it. Well, that's an interesting take. So uh, not necessarily just learning from them, like, hey, you're great with people. I want to learn how to be great with people, but I want to be better with people. And I know you're great with people. So you're going to hold me accountable for it. Not necessarily just teach me stuff, but you're going to say, hey, are you doing the things you need to do? Because they already know what you need to do. They can already see it. That's yeah, that's an interesting twist on the on the idea and, of accountability. And, and success leaves clues, right? So those people that are good at the thing that you're trying to accomplish, if you're if you're investing time in them and, and watching them and, and seeing what they do, um, they're going to leave clues on how they accomplish it. And so you can follow those clues, but at the same time, that extra step of, Hey, I'm trying to achieve this too, puts you kind of in their sights so they can say, how hey, I wonder, I wonder where Gary's at with that. And I always pick people that also aren't afraid to ask me that question. Hey, where are you with this? Because I think not only them being successful at what it is you're trying to accomplish, but also, uh, them having that leadership ability to be able to ask you if you're doing the thing that you said you were going to do is very important and critical to accomplishing it. Yeah, man. And so let's go back a little bit uh, and tell me tell me about young Gary getting into entrepreneurship and uh, what were what were some of your initial, uh, your initial businesses, you know, how did you make the transition from wherever you were into uh, running the companies that you run now? Yeah. So uh, I always, uh, I always had a plan or a thought or a goal in the back of my mind to not be poor. That's that, that was the determining factor. And uh, I've, I've listened to other entrepreneurs, very successful ones, Alex Hormozzi being one where he talks about that as one of his, uh, guiding forces but it's the wrong force of not wanting to be poor like you should want to be you you should want to achieve and to change people's life but i didn't know that when i was a teenager right i just saw what um kind of we had in our family and that was a lot of nothing so like when i was 14 um it, well to back it up when i was 12 years old there was a program called Renekid, and um people could on their phone call this service it was basically a temp agency to uh, traffic teenagers to give you or preteens to give you work. Like I mowed grass and did uh, 
landscape cleanup and you, you were making like the big 250 an hour at the mm -hmm. time uh which probably it was, was legal like, legalized child trafficking it got was, it, it <laughs> okay absolutely and uh i remember the second summer that i did it so the first summer i think it was 12 second was or first was 11 second was 12 um the second summer that i did it i made over 1500 dollars. that's a lot of hours at two dollars and fifty cents an hour. Now, to be clear, some people would pay me like ten bucks to mow their yard, and it might take two hours, not you know, yeah, four or five. So I, I was kind of ahead of that. But um, from that, I picked up about six or seven lawn mowing jobs. And so when I was like thirteen years old, um, you know, April through October, I was making somewhere around a hundred dollars in cash a week, and then um, I turned. 15 and there was a local there was an attorney who owned a farm and uh he had this barn that uh i swear to god had a just never-ending path of dried up cow manure and my job was to remove that and it felt like every week when i would remove it and i would remove like four or five wheelbarrows over an eight-hour period uh because that stuff was there it'd probably have been there for a century uh I felt like I never got anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, that, that was another job that I picked up. And so like when I was 16 years old, I had a job where I was working at a, um, orthopedic, like 15 to 20 hours a week as a file clerk. And I had these other uh, side jobs. My income was almost $250 a week. I told my wife this, we didn't marry until later in life, but we knew each other in high school. I was like, you missed out because I had cash in high school. <laughs> I did. I was, you know, I graduated in 1990. So yeah. like 87, 88, 89, I was making 250 pretty much every single week in and out. Some of the winter months. Rolling. Much. Rolling in the cash. Dude, I was balling. I was balling hard. But I also had to pay for everything that I did. My clothes, my food. Like my parents didn't have the ability to go make money or cast vision on how to do that. And so like, I didn't even understand what owning a business was. I didn't know anybody that owned a business. All I knew are people that would get up and work, run farms. Like my grandpa had a big, huge farm that we all worked on. Um, that's all I saw, just people going to work. And so I was this kid that wanted to figure out how to not get put into that situation. And um, when I was 22, um, got recruited to get into Bank One's management program, now Bank One through all of its iterations, I think now it's Chase Bank. But uh, I was in Bank One's management training program. I was making the, you know, the great like 32 grand a year um, and thought like I had arrived. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're in a training program with banks, like they put you in different um, verticals of the bank. So like you'll be in retail and then you'll be doing loans. Well, I started out in loans and realized that I'm pretty good at this. Um, oh, you tell somebody like they're paying too much. We could uh, consolidate it and put you on a line of credit or a second or a refi or a second mortgage. Like I loved it. And then I watched people leave that department go to other companies, mortgage brokers, and they started driving these cars that I had only dreamed of driving, right? Mm. Um, so I started asking them, like, what are you doing? So I got into the mortgage brokerage world when I was 23. And um, I remember uh, it was 1996. And um, 
I had never made probably more than five or six grand a year or a month, which was a lot. Five or six mm -hmm. grand a month was a lot. And I remember I had to go, I want to make 10 grand in a month. I want to make 10 grand in a month. In August of 1996, I made 10 grand in a month. And um, from a kid like who lived in a holler in Kentucky, um, which sounds like a yeah. country. Song. Yeah, we got to stop. We got to stop here because not everybody listening to this podcast is from Kentucky. So you need to, you need to explain <laughs> what is a holler. Man, like, holler is, it's what's, what's, where, explain explain where the holler is aside from the place where we chuck our old washing machines <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like if you haven't seen the movie deliverance i would recommend going and watching that movie it'll give you an idea although that's about west virginia more than it is kentucky that's right um but the holler is if you think dirt road um you know we don't have a lot of mountains in kentucky but we have tall hills so if you think yeah. like dirt roads that go back behind these hills and then they go down into these valleys usually next to a river or close to a body of water yeah. and everybody is poor that's um, right something where you can where you can holler and everybody hears you everybody hears you no <laughs> running water like you have very limited resources that's where i grew up our, our rent was like 70 dollars a month and yeah. we probably were overpaying at 70 dollars a month you know what i mean yeah but um Made 10 grand a month in August of 1996 and thought, this is something, right? Um, I, I'd been hired by these two guys that own their own mortgage company. And they thought, like, because I could sell, that I could grow their company. Crazy of them to give me that offer. But uh, within three years, we had grown it to, like, 80 loan officers. Uh, we had our own telemarketing department, three locations. And it was booming. And I decided... I built their dream. Now I want to go build mine. And um, well, so so stop there for a moment because yeah. uh, it, it sounds like up to this point, you had been motivated by money, sort sort of in a in a way. And and for me, kind of you know, coming from a similar part of the country and a you know a similar upbringing, for me that motivation you you really hit the nail on the head when you said I want to be not poor. Yeah. And, and so we went different, different paths on ways to be not poor. Uh, but, but there was this drive, almost a, like a survival instinct that says, I've got to get as far away from this poverty and desperation as possible. And that drives me forward and it pushes me forward. And it's taken you now, it sounds like that took you as far as it could possibly take you by just following the same track. And now it looks like you want to get off the track and create your own tracks. Yeah, um, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people grow up in situations to where they don't see or it's not modeled for them what success looks like. And success isn't money. Like That's not success. Success mm. is freedom. <laughs> that's success. Like, uh, you know, understanding like Josh, what Josh does on a daily basis or if you look at my life on a daily basis. Like we get a lot of stuff done for clients, but I never am like tied to having to go and do something for someone because we have our businesses set up to where it's doing it or we have people in our business that are doing it. And I'm here to lead them and to impact them. And that is hard to understand, number one, at a young age. Mm. And it's hard to understand if it's not modeled for you. And then the next piece of it is, is to have a vision greater than just acquiring wealth. I think Ryan Stuman did a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, 
after you make two million a year, which I haven't made that yet, so I don't. I'm taking his. I'm taking his word for it. But after you make two million dollars a year, like you can't spend that much money consistently and continuously. So you have to that's start right. impacting others. That's right. And that's really, I think, you know, we, not to gloss over it, but I started a mortgage company in uh, 1999, and then grew it uh, for the next eight years into one of the. We, we were considered one of the top three in size and production of mortgage brokers in, in the greater Cincinnati area. Um, 2008 came and uh, like a lot of real estate related businesses, we went out of business mainly because I had made a bad choice around licensing. I went after state licensing because I didn't want to deal with federal licensing agencies. And if I would have pursued the federal licensing agencies, we would have stuck around because that's who the funding sources were that didn't go out of business. Um, and because I didn't pursue the right uh, licensing, it screwed me and we went out of business. And, you know, people lost jobs, people lost their livelihoods, they lost their ability to be able to do the thing that impacted others. And I, you but know, here's I, something, here's something that didn't happen though. You didn't lose your way. You didn't go back to the holler. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I, I will say this. I had a two-year period where I didn't want to be an entrepreneur again. Um, 08, 09, like two, uh, up until almost 2010. Like it was painful, Josh. <laughs> I had had little small businesses and we had invested in stuff that maybe we didn't make a ton of money off of during that time period. Uh, like we owned a bar. We sold the bar, made a little bit of money. We owned a sandwich shop, sold the sandwich shop, made a little bit of money. Like I never had anything fail, mm. right? And when it failed, because it's that's what it was. I mean, it was it was a failed business. It wasn't a failure. It was a failed business, a learning experience, right? And um, we, I I just had just a pain of man. I don't want to feel that again. I don't want to mm -hmm. feel that again. So I went to work for a guy, pretty decent sized company. Was his national sales manager. Reported to the COO. I was like third in charge. We when I started there, their revenue was six million. When I left six and a half years later, we had grown their revenues almost 15 million a year. But I realized in 2010, two years in, I'm building his dream. Hmm. <laughs> and if I'm going to build somebody's dream, I need to build my dream. That's right. And so I got the fire back in seeing that, look, the fear of failure is bigger than the failure. Right. And it took two years for me to get over that pain. It was like a breakup almost. Hmm. Um, took some time to get over that pain. You had to go through the stages. But when I did and I had clarity, it was like, okay, now I have to find the next opportunity. And um, I so, think well, yeah, I mean, and let me, let me kind of unpack some of that because you're, there's, there's, there's so much gold in what you just shared here in this process. You know, we, we kind of had this arrival point to where, all right, you were chasing the ability to not be poor and you took that as far as you could take it. And now you had this stepping stone to say, all right, well, now I can create real wealth. And you built your own business and you built that up. And uh, the thing you said about, you know, you can't spend $2 million per year consistently without being, you know, kind of crazy. It kind of comes in phases, right? When... When you're living in the holler and you're paying $70 a month for rent, that is one level of survival. Right. 
when you go and you get that job and at the at the bank and you're making thirty thousand dollars a year, that's like the neck that's like another level of survival. And then you get to this point and it's debatable uh where this actual number is. Some people say it's like 75k. Some people say it's like 20k a month. But there's there's some level to where once you make a certain amount of money without living like a luxurious lifestyle, the world's basically free. Yeah. Unless you do something really stupid, you can't outspend your earnings. Right. And 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 then once your survival's taken care of, what's next? And some people choose drugs and vices. Some people choose toys and you know, expensive cars and boats. Some people choose a higher power or authority. Some people choose to give back to the world. What you do next once you once you're secure. What you do next is up to you. Yeah. And it sounds like you have reached that. You've reached these different levels coming all the way from as far down as you could. You've reached all of these levels. And each time it made you stop and think, what's next? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. As you were saying that, like every level that I got to, I remember this vividly. Like when I either, when I started, at a new job or when I opened a business and like we had a building and we would go to the building, I, I would find myself like the first day I would have this question in my head, like, am I going to come here for the next five to seven years? Like, mm. is this what I'm going to be doing? And it mm. was like a realization of, okay, this is what you're going to be doing. Now, what do you have to do in order to perpetuate success to impact others? And like that, conversation in my head i i've had multiple times throughout my life and you're absolutely right you get to a number of income and um you don't have to check the bank balance every day you don't worry about spending money um you obviously just don't go crazy spending it but you get to a point to where that's the case and when you get there like that's that's where comfort lies right but that's the money so now what's the purpose that you're, what is, what, what is the purpose that you were put here for? Right. And, um, I, I wrestled with that probably for about two or three years, 2014, 2015, 2016. Like what is, what is Gary doing on this earth that he's supposed to be doing for others, or he's supposed to be doing that, is going to be different or impactful. And we come to find, I say we, my wife and I, our impact is twofold. One, um, business owners that were in our uh, space at the time, which was exterior cleaning, Christmas light contractors. Um, and I still impact that space. I speak at events, conferences, sponsor them, all that kind of stuff. We also do marketing for them. But I also give them uh, advice and kind of sight into why they're doing what they're doing. Like the typical business owner complains about a couple of things, getting customers and having employees. Like those are typically what most business owners complain about. Hmm. But in the world of ultimate accountability, if you're not getting customers and you're not having quality employees, that is your fault. So what is it that you're doing 
to create negativity around those two types of acquisitions related to people. Most of the time, it's because, and we hear this phrase all the time, Josh, you're not being the best version of yourself. That's usually the foundation. And then what does that mean? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, look, the worst thing that business owners do is take advantage of others. And they, it's, it's done in a way because they think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for me and my family. So it's okay if I do this to others. And it's not. Like that's not okay. So having a vision of how do I impact others' lives? And so I want to impact as many people as possible so they can go impact as many people as possible. And that just keeps going down the road. So how do we impact them? Well, we impact them by helping them in ways that they need help, but also showing them what um, what benefiting and providing for others looks like. So we like just talking earlier, Josh, like we sponsor kids for the holidays. We also do it throughout the year. Um, things like we, we have a couple different orphanages, things like you get on their uh, Amazon wish list. And I do this usually every June or July. And uh, there's two orphanages that we're pretty dialed in with. I buy everything on their on their uh, Amazon wish list. It shows up at their place. I don't know if they know it's us or not. I don't really care. But the kids get what is on that wish list. I remember mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, uh, first time I did it was like 2018. My wife is like, why did you buy all, all of those kids books? Because on their wish list was like 150 kids books. <laughs> Some of them I had never heard of before, but just went select all, buy, boom. They got the, she's like, and you know, in your Amazon order list, it's showing all these kids books. She's like, why'd you get all these kids books? I had explained to her. Oh, and so those kids were basically what little Gary could have been, could have been an orphan, could have been stuck there. But I want to show them that, hey, there's somebody out there that's trying to help you see that there's opportunity, right? And um, I think when you get dialed in on a purpose, this stuff called work and uh, developing money sources and revenue, that's the easy part. Impacting and changing people's lives, that's where uh, happiness and joy lives. Understood. Well said, man. Yeah, well said. I think this is a great opportunity for us to transition. Let's take a look at the do zone diagnostic. We're going to crack open your skull there and see how that brain ticks. Are you ready? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, just rapid fire, quick five questions here. First thing that comes to mind, number one, what's one thing you do, Gary, that keeps you focused on your goals? I write every single day, 300 words at a minimum. Um, and in writing, I'm focusing on the things that I want to usually accomplish or I'm trying to um, make happen. Awesome. And number two, how do you get back on track when you lose that focus? <laughs> um, best way for me is, uh, and, and I hate solitude, but I get, I get into solitude and I get focused on what the actual end result is. Um don't focus on the money, focus on what the impact is. And if you focus on that impact, that'll help you get recentered. Nice. And uh, Gary, who's your support group and how do they keep you accountable? Uh, biggest support group is my wife, but then, um, you know, beyond that, obviously uh, the apex group and uh, smaller, a smaller sector of that apex group that I've uh, plugged in and dialed into that we have communication with. And then, and then a couple of close friends. 
Awesome. And uh, how do you approach a difficult project that you're not really sure how to complete? Um, I'm a big uh, results guy. Like I try to see what the result is going to be of that project and then find people that can help us or help make that project go as smoothly as possible. I don't know everything. Never said I will know everything, but I know enough that there are people out there that know more than me. And I try to go find them and plug them in to help us get projects that are difficult to get done, done. Nice. And uh, last question, what's the number one pro tip that you would give to somebody looking to get more stuff done in less time? Uh, get organized, you know, live in, it, it's cliche, but live and die by the calendar. You do that, uh, you protect your time and you protect the ability that you have to get more stuff done. If you don't protect your time, no, no one else is going to respect it. So protect your time, get focused and you'll get more done. If you don't protect your time, nobody else will. That is true. Uh, if you don't protect your money, nobody else will. If you don't protect your family, nobody else will. If you don't protect yourself, nobody else will. Yeah, yep. 100%. And so tell me a little bit, Gary, about what is, what is it that you're doing now? You've you've been through the full spectrum of everything that somebody could possibly do to, to grow into an entrepreneur. What is your current business and who's your ideal car, current uh, target market? Yeah, so we do everything digital marketing for home service businesses. Um, so if you're a plumber, electrician, uh, pressure washing, Christmas lights, carpet cleaning, junk removal, we can handle uh, search, Google ads, SEO, website development, uh, social, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, email marketing, text marketing, all those things that help you grow your business, get more leads, and uh, help you ach achieve the growth that you're trying to achieve. We have different levels that we can do that with. And then um, we're rolling out a new business that, um, you know, that's monthly service oriented where we, you know, contract companies contract us. The new business is going to be one-off stuff to where we build websites, create social media reels, um, you know, one-off type packages that can help business owners kind of stay consistent be consistent without the expense related to a digital marketing agency. Um, so we've, you know, we focus on home service and want to help those guys that are 250, 400, 500,000 get to that next level and um, do it in a way that helps them sustain the growth. Awesome. And uh, so what would be the best way that somebody can reach out to you if they kind of fall into that market and they, and they want to engage? Yeah. The best way is our website. It's uh dm8partners.com, which is dominate partners. Uh, dot com, or you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Gary Guyman. Uh, one of those two ways will connect me or us with you and uh, we can get you the right things rolling. So let me ask you a question about that. Uh, more of a, you know, if, if somebody is listening that kind of falls into that or, or maybe even in a, a similar industry, that's not quite your target. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, what do you think is the best way that that a business should utilize social media specifically to grow their business? Um, it's funny. I just we just had a conversation with a new client about two hours ago. And this conversation, I, I have this more times than not. Um, everybody wants to like protect their brand, right? And I don't want to post too much 
because if I post too much, it's going to annoy people. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm regurgitating what I learned when I say this and I learned it in a way that, um, I did it. So, you know, I first started following Ryan Stuman in 2014. I went to a break free Academy live in 2018. I remember he did a live video in 2016 and he said, if you're not going live on Facebook multiple times a day, nobody knows who you are. So I just started doing that. Just started going live multiple times a day. I can remember the first time I went live, I had no freaking clue like what to say, what to do. It was so scary. But I went live. I did it. Created two Facebook groups, 5,000 in one, 12,000 in another. Impacted other people to do it. One guy created an association around contractors that has like 500 people in it. We just, I just started producing content. So I would say this. The way you should should use social media is think about what it is that you find useful on social media. Look, I, I'm a guy that likes to be funny. I also like to watch funny shit. Like if there's a Dave Chappelle or a Ralphie May reel, I'm watching it. So what does that tell me? People like funny. People like to be entertained when they're on social media. So use social media as a way to grab attention. It's the billboard of today. And if you're not using it in a way to grab attention, then you People are just going to scroll by. So mm. attention is the word. And what are you going to do to get attention? Um, I like funny. There are definitely more ways than just funny, but use social media to grab attention and you'll be successful. Well said. And uh, what do you feel like uh, as far as getting that attention? Once they have that, once they have that attention, how do you turn that into sales? Yeah. So value, value, value. Um, when you are getting attention, like you should be giving as much value as possible. Value to what your viewers think is value though. There's things that we think is valuable that isn't valuable, but there are things that viewers that are watching your stuff will see as valuable. Like I give away what our plan is and what our digital marketing um, playbook looks like. I will give it away. Why? Because I know most people don't have the ability or the wherewithal to actually take action and do something with it. So I will give that value and they'll go, huh, let me try that. They try it, man, this sucks. Let me call Gary. That's how we get most of our clients is me giving value. It lends to my credibility, but it also gives them a chance to see, huh, I can't do this. I need a professional, right? Hmm. Um, if you're not putting value out, it's going to be hard to to convert followers to paying customers. The more value you put out, the more money you can make. Um, you know, this year for us, we'll we'll eclipse seven figures, and um, you know, it's one of those things like five years to be an overnight sensation. That's how long I've been putting value out. Um, and if you focus on getting revenue, it's going to take much longer. If you if you focus on providing value then you're going to give them, you're going to give your prospects a ramp to be able to come and find you. Nice. Well said. I really appreciate you sharing that Gary and, and specifically sharing your story of where you came from and where you've taken that and the lessons that you've learned along the way. I'm sure that our audience got a ton of value out of that. Uh, we're going to wrap up from here. Thank you so much for our guest, Gary Guyman for joining us and sharing some wisdom on how he gets stuff done. Uh, you can connect with him directly by going to dmn8partners.com. 
And especially if you are a home services company and you're looking for ways to grow your business through marketing, uh, that would be a great connection for you. Once again, Gary Guyman, you can go to dmn8partners.com. And uh, also, if you want to keep, keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. And don't forget to get your own personal do zone DNA by visiting dozonedna.com. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend, screenshot it and add it to your Instagram stories, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever works best for you. If you're looking to crush your goals this year and level up your team, we're here to help. To learn more about how our scientifically backed process can increase your company's productivity by up to 300%, head over to unbreakableteams.com. That's unbreakableteams.com.